guilty pleasures at best gouge the floors of our chest. This is our vestige left. Next time will be better, I guess. Welcome. I'm Will Morgan, and this is 42 Minutes, excuse me, a production of SyncBook Radio and TheSyncBook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. Today, we climb another rung toward the Tree Fort Music Fest, happening March 20th through 23rd in Boise, Idaho. You can look forward to more discussions from our March Music Showcase with the likes of Disco Doom, Magic Sword, Story Grub, Iskadaf, and Yvette. Stay up to date with the showcase by joining our Facebook event, which you can find by liking us on Facebook. Today is the 14th of March, and call it what you want. Because I'd be alone, so happy alone. Good morning, Douglas Bowles here, and today on 42 Minutes, we're traveling back to Austin for another listen to South by Southwest to meet St. Seneca, a young band from Columbus, Ohio, led by singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Zach Little. Much has happened since the band released their first full-length debut album in 2011, <laughs> entitled Last. Following a revamped lineup and a dramatically expanded recording process, the band is poised to release Dark Arc on Anti-Records April 1st. There's a lot of buzz around this one, and we're very excited. St. Seneca will be making their Treefort Music Fest debut on opening night Thursday, March 20th, slash Friday morning at 12 a.m. at the Crux, which is an all-ages venue. We're, we're very pleased to be speaking with Zach today, and very thankful he could take time out of his busy tour schedule to be speaking with us. Good morning, Zach. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. Great. And when I say busy tour schedule, I mean it. It looks like you guys are playing... Every night. Yeah, close to it. Yeah, for months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 definitely a pretty rigorous schedule. You know, the only nights we have off are ones that we have to go for like drive for like fourteen hours or something like that. So insane. You guys will actually be in Denver here in about four days, won't you? Yeah, that's right. We have a we have a couple of shows tomorrow, and then um, we'll be in Denver shortly after that. Wonderful. That's where I'm actually at at this point. So I might I might take a little time to go go check you guys out. I'd be interested in seeing what it would be like to have that live experience. Yeah, that would be great. Have you guys done a tour like this before, or is this kind of a, something bigger than than you guys have ever done? Um. Well, we've been touring for about four and a half years now. Um. Maybe maybe a little longer than that even, but. This is definitely the most extensive tour that we've done. I think prior to this, the longest that we've been on the road is about, you know, three and a half weeks, just shy of a month or something like that. So, to, you know, to do something that's like uh, more in the neighborhood of like six or seven is, is yeah, it's, a, it's another step. What about South by Southwest? Have you guys played that festival before or is it your first time there? Uh, yeah, this is actually our first time here. Um, we never really made the trek down here before. And that's where you're at right now, right? So, I mean, what what what's going on? I'm seeing all this news about what's going down at South at Southwest. It's kind of creepy with the car flying um, into the crowd. Or do you know anything about that? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a tragedy. It's it's a real shame that that happened. Um, wow. 
Yeah, sorry I don't to put know. you on I mean, the spot. I was just wondering. I mean, I hope no, no, like Brown I mean, Central. I was, right. For the, yeah, unfortunately, that was like right in the kind of like main central area of of where a lot of the shows were going at the festival. And um, I don't know, it's just kind of like a freak accident. Um, I guess I was fortunate enough to not be over there when it happens, but I was around that area, you know, not long beforehand. So. Um, do you know if any musicians got hurt in that accident? I I don't know. I mean, I think there's like 20, it's in the 20s of the, the people who were injured. And, I, you know, two two people thus far have, have died. So, I, you know, it's a pretty serious accident. What, and then what are your impressions of the festival, you know, outside of that tragedy? Um, well, you know, I think, I think it's like, it's, to some extent, hard to like separate those two things, but also at the same time, like because I, you know, I didn't see it, I wasn't there. Like everything almost just has gone on, you know, like with very little acknowledgement of that, which is kind of strange in and of itself. Um, but otherwise, I think the festival is—it's been fun. It, it's really hectic, um, really busy. But you know, I think there are a lot of people here to to see bands and who are excited about music and things like that. So, um, you know, it, it, it's fun too. Hmm. All right. Well, let's get back on some more positive notes. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. You said something earlier in another interview that I was listening to about how much, uh, touring was influential to what the band became. Has there been a change in that? I mean, uh, how have you guys grown? Um, well, you know, yeah, I, I certainly think that touring like affects affects you in a lot of ways. I I, I think that it's a, especially for us. Like I, I mentioned earlier, that we started touring, you know, around two thousand eight, um, and it was something that started out. We, we were just kind of like really kind of invested and tapped into the DIY kind of like punk show network across the country. And um, I think that that really just gave us the opportunity to build things up on our own terms. You know, at, at that point, we didn't have anyone who was like interested or or willing and, and you know, taking care of booking shows for us. But having the access to the sort of like resources, you know, gave us the opportunity to just kind of go out there and present things. And I think that that's been invaluable, you know, six years later or something to have all that touring under our belt because you, you learn so much from it. And also it's like, it's just a really good and organic way to just connect with people. Um, and essentially that, you know, that's what you're trying to do anyway. Um, I'm also interested on something that I heard you say in another interview about group writing. Mm -hmm. uh, is that still like something that you guys pay a lot of attention to? It's changed over time. Um, as as a excuse the sirens in the background. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm outside, um, but yeah, the group writing process like it's it's evolved over time as the, the band itself has evolved and kind of morphed. The original lineup was was something that emerged out of some childhood friendships. Um, right. We had we had played in rock bands together growing up, 
And when we moved to Columbus, you know, we wanted to continue to play music, but then just began, began, you know, incorporating the more diverse range of instruments and things like that. And that's kind of what St. Seneca grew out of. Um, and with those early days, it, it was like a, a pretty, like, complete collaborative process. And that, and that sometimes, you know, maybe I would bring the seeds to a song, like... Um, you know, start with a guitar part or something, but somebody else may write the vocal melody and the lyrics over top of that. But in time, as as things shifted, you know, Dark Heart was dramatically different in that it it was a record that was created after that original lineup had already sort of like parted ways. So essentially, it was something that I was spending time writing all the arrangements for myself and, and then bringing that into the studio. But I will say, especially with our life arrangement right now, I've always made a point of surrounding myself and incorporating other musicians into the project that I really respect and admire. And, you know, ideally, I think that you're around people that, you know, will challenge you and, and push you because they're, you know, they have skills that surpass your own. Um, I think that's the ideal and so I feel like that's probably the way that the sort of like collaboration manifests now is that like, you know, I'll, I'll write the songs and I may like have these parts, but I'll certainly open it up to, to these people that I'm playing with and let them have their own voice in, in that as well, just because I, you know, respect them as musicians. Mm. What about opening also to, you know, the producer that's helping you create this? And in, in this instance, I'm thinking, for Dark Arc, don't you use someone that is uh, pretty well-known and producer having worked with, like, M. Ward and First Aid Kit? Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and Dark Arc was, was a, in, an interesting process in some ways because we actually, originally we started out, we recorded for about 10 months in Columbus, Ohio with my friend Glenn Davis. And, and you know, he had a really big hand. And, and helping me kind of like think through how I wanted to do these songs, you know, because as I mentioned, it was a really open process. It, it wasn't this thing where it was just like, we have live arrangements for these, it's, it's a live band, and we're going to go and make a documentation of that. It was like much more nebulous. So we had, we, but, but, you know, that ended up being really freeing and I think like really uh, creatively fulfilling. Um, the final record, like after we had that record and we're like, we're done. Then later on, we had the opportunity to kind of take that and and make something that was a hybrid of those of those two parts. So we ended up re-recording um, a number of tracks from the record and filling out a lot more. And you know, a couple kind of just like stayed like pretty like stripped down. Um, but we that for those like sort of like sessions, we took the stem tracks from those original ten months and out to Omaha, Nebraska, and we worked with. Mike Mogus, that yeah, you know, he's done like in war, he did all the Bright Eyes records, um, a lot of the Saddle Creek things. So, you know, he has a, a pretty impressive catalog. And, and, you know, I've always been a big fan of his work. So it was real, it was a real, you know, amazing experience to be able to like be out there and see how he works. And, and you know, it was cool too because I felt like he had. It wasn't this thing where, you know, he was like, I can take this record and make it better. I mean, it, it was that, but I think that it, it was with the tone of having like a lot of respect for what we had created. And, you know, because he liked what we had done, was, you know, excited about the prospect of pushing it further. 
well, we've only heard the two songs that you've kind of teased teased out, but they sound mm -hmm. the, the the actual sound is really incredible. It, it sounds so clean, and um, there's something that's just, just this really nice quality. So Thanks I'm so much. yeah, I'm I'm excited. But then it's interesting you you put it out on April first. Is that just coincidence, or is is there something going on there? <laughs> April Fool. Um, I didn't choose the release date, so <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think you know, I I I think that we wanted to put it out, um, you know, start this tour and and hit South by Southwest and 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 try to kind of like ride the that wave in, into the release of the record. So you know, maybe there's a certain level of like strategy behind it. Hmm. Hmm. That makes sense. Now let's switch gears a little bit and go to a topic about inspiration. I know in mm -hmm. one of your albums, like basically started with dreams, or I've heard you talk about dreams a lot. And I'm wondering, is that a continued source of inspiration for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I you, yeah, I, I, I tend to have like pretty, pretty immersive and intense, vivid dreams. Um, and I feel like that's something, in particular for Dark Art, the newer record, I was having uh, reoccurring dreams. So that was something that kind of informed the the writing process. Um, and also, there are a few other moments where um, I had sort of like serendipitously would had a dream and, and, and that manifested in a pretty direct way into the recording. For instance, the song Uppercutter, which is, is one of, I think, the first single that we released, um, I had picked up the bass, and I had never really written any songs on bass. I was at a friend's house, and I just picked it up and started playing that, that riff right in the beginning of the song, um, and was really excited by that. And so I went home, and I started playing the bass a little bit. I had one that had survived a fire in my apartment, but and it was kind of broken, and the pickups were all blistered and, and bubbled, but I plugged it in and, and somehow it, it worked. Um, <laughs> and then, so I was, I was kind of like figuring out these songs on, on the bass and then really struggling with Uppercutter in particular to kind of like find the vocal melody. But I had a dream and then, it, you know, sometimes I'll have, where I have like, I hear songs or melodies or something, but, um, I woke up and I had a little voice recorder thing and recorded the melody into the recorder, you know, right away. Went back to sleep. And the next day I, I came I came back to that melody um, and discovered that, you know, it, it just like clicked right over top of those, those chords on the bass. So I was like, oh, well, that's great. I'll go with that. And then later on... Um, I, with the same song, even like I was trying to figure out like how I wanted to sort of flesh it out in terms of productions and things like that. Um, and I had had a dream where I heard like this kind of like murky, like ethereal piano playing along with it. Um, mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, we'll try that. And and I I met up with Luke Smith, who was one of the original members actually, and you know he's pretty good at piano, and we just like figured it out right away. Um, and so that, yeah, that was how that happened. Uh, have you ever had any experience with lyrics as far as that's concerned? 
like having dreams of lyrics or having dreams of seeing yourself or hearing yourself sing a song that you hadn't hadn't been written? And um, I feel like it's it has more to do with melody. Um, uh, and if it is lyrics, it's maybe not. Um, it's maybe not something that is like I'm singing words or something, but maybe like the subject matter of a dream or something. Ah, uh, uh, that then would make it's, sense. It's, it's translated into words. So maybe I'm not like singing the song in my dreams, but you know, maybe I'll see something like, for instance, like having a like I kept having dreams of a tidal wave when I was making dark art. So you know, I think that's a theme that kind of crept into the record. Mm. Well, we kind of we had a Jungian psychologist on, and we freaked him out a little bit. We we asked him to share his dream. Did you have a dream last night? Uh, I did. I I had a couple dreams last night. I mean, they're relatively small, but <laughs> I, I I think I dreamt that um, I don't know. It was like boring. It was like stuff we were. On. It was just like mundane stuff about being on tour. I imagine <laughs> you guys are processing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so usually my dreams are pretty, like, entertaining, if nothing else. So, like, some, oh, wait, and then part of it was, like, I woke up, uh, or no, I was in a hotel, and I realized that I had, for some reason, skipped the last day of high school, and I was like, oh, damn it, I'm supposed to get straight A's. And <laughs> I forgot to turn, I forgot to turn in an, an assignment, and I was, I was, I was worried that it would adversely affect my Great. So, yeah, <laughs> really, really exciting stuff last night. <laughs> well, so you, um, one of the things you, you explore on this record is dreams, but then also I, I read that you're also exploring contradictions, you know, mixes of darkness and light, um, mm -hmm. uplifting pop set against a background of doom, joy and, you know, sadness. This is really interesting to us in our show because, you know, that's kind of the space between that we're always bumping into. Uh, could you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, that that's definitely part of it. Like in a lot of ways, I sort of like consider the record a meditation on, on doom, um, or at least that's one way that I've described it, described it, but I don't really see it as this thing that's like dismal or or necessarily, you know, has to be like super depressing or something like that. Um, but, you know, like maybe finding, you know, like as you mentioned that contradiction, but like finding a, a certain level of like joy and that doom. And that, you know, maybe on, on some level or something like our vitality, you know, our, our life or whatever is, is sort of like tied up in our demise as well. And then maybe, you know, like, like endings, it, 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 those endings are something that gives our existence punctuation, that gives it, you know, meaning. Um, so, yeah. Well, we're really looking forward to this one. Uh, when, what, what part of the tour will you be on April 1st? Do you know that offhand? I think we're going to be in California. We're playing Amoeba, I believe, which is a record store in L.A. And then does the tour uh, make it to some of the the other regional festivals? Um, I, I don't know if we will be on this tour. You know, I'm certainly be happy to do that. But um, I think we're, we're playing the, the Treefort Festival 
Um, and then we'll be playing a, self, a festival in May in Nelsonville. Um, but other than that, offhand, I, don't, I can't remember if we're hitting any others. Wonderful. I want to talk about the Appalachia feel that shows through so vividly in, in, in just about all of your work. Um, and I know that you grew up in like a small Appalachian town. This is true? Yeah, that's right. And so is it intentional to have this like heavy folk mountain music sound? Or is that just ingrained in you somehow? Or did you grow up in a church queue? What happened? Well, um, <clears throat> I would say that the, uh, the sort of like folk, you know, idiom that that sort of like texture or whatever is something that um, I don't know if, if if it comes from me growing up in like Appalachia. You know, it it, it crept in in a subtle way. It wasn't. It's not necessarily like oh, you know, I grew up surrounded by banjos or something like that. But I I do think the way that it has informed <laughs> my process and and you know like. Is that, you know, like, I think when you grow up in that kind of area or whatever, at least where I did, you know, I lived on some farms. Um, I think that that kind of, like, isolation, for me, cultivated, uh, like, a, a way of being introspective, you know? Like, a, you know, I, I think that I'm relatively, like, comfortable with, with finding, you know, or, or being alone or something like that. Not that, like, I want to isolate myself, but rather that I find it important to kind of, like, take some time out to have some sanctuary of, of mind, you know, um, which really I, I think is more about being connected with other people rather than isolated or disconnected. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, that, that kind of, like, solitude and, and things like things like that has certainly like informed like the way that I approach music later, but I, I feel like it's probably on a more, you know, subliminal level, more subconscious level than, than just like, Oh, you know, here's some dulcimers and banjos. I mean, those certainly were things that were <laughs> around in that area, but. You know, right. It, well, that little... it just has that feel. I mean, it's almost, and then of course your look and everything that goes with that, that just, it, you're almost like drenched in this Appalachian mountain, Mississippi Delta, like good, almost Southern. I would say it's like Tom Sawyer ish. I don't don't have any context for Appalachian. Uh, The only thing that I'm trying to connect is is the movie cold mountain. Does that, is that Appalachia? (laughs) Uh, Probably. I mean, where I grew up was in like, um, it's Southeast Ohio. So it's, it's, it's pretty close. Um, you know, it's, you know, maybe 35 minutes from like the Ohio river or something like that. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's rolling hills and, um, it's, it's very rural. Um, and then, you know, it's primarily like a farming community. Uh, I, you know, the village or whatever, as they describe it, you know, it's a small town, I think based on the number of people that call it a village or whatever, it's like, I think fewer than 2,000 people, um, and I didn't actually live in the town. I lived, I lived out on farms, so, but, 
yeah, I, I think that, you know, maybe, maybe that just like landscape, you know, creep, creeps into what you do, but. Oh, definitely. I think so. I mean, yeah. as, as far as, I, I mean, I even hear it in certain musicians from the same place that aren't connected. It's like, oh yeah, you can totally tell that there's something in the, in the ground that's itself, like just being in that space transmits like something. The Seattle, the Seattle grunge sound was, had a lot to do with like the, the, the creepy sound you get from London bands because of the constant cloud cover and droopiness and stuff like that. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> possibly, possibly. Yeah. Well, tell wow. us a little bit about Columbus. How, how big is that? And what kind of scene is there? Uh, yeah, actually, Columbus is like a pretty big and, and vibrant city. You know, it's, it's pretty Midwestern, um, but that gives it some charm. You know, it's laid back and people are friendly. Um, and the music scene, especially right now, is, is I feel particularly vibrant. You know, in all the, the years that I've lived there, which I've been there for about seven or eight years, it, it's great. Right now, it's kind of booming. There are a lot of really good bands. And beyond that, too, I think that there's like a real spirit of like community um, and, you know, wanting to mutually support one another and things like that. People make the effort to go out to one another's shows. And, you know, I think it's an, it's an inspiring place to be right now. Who's been blowing your mind lately, music-wise? In Columbus or just in general? Just in general. Well, we, we just did some tour dates with... Um, Busman's Holiday. They're a band from Bloomington, and seeing seeing them every night, they're just they've got a new record that's actually coming out the same day as ours, April first. Um, and they're phenomenal. I mean, the songwriting is just like so good. The harmonies are so good, and 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 live like their presentation is just so spot on. You know, they're just really really uh, great performers. Um, so I've been really into them, and also this uh, this girl Frankie Cosmos. Um, we went on tour months ago with a band from Brooklyn called Level Up. They're good friends of ours, and they're releasing her record. Um, and they played it for me, you know, early, and I was just blown away. It's just really, really great, like, real simple kind of, like, K-Records vibe, like, pop, but, you know, thoughtful and with some, like, real, like, substance to it, too. It's not just, like, simple pop. There's, there's more to it there. So one of the things that intrigues me is you have such an interesting style. I wonder if you could, you know, what is what is the essential album that comes to you as a young person that, that shapes you into Zach Little? Is that... Um, I think the, the Beatles' White Album is probably... The White Album, had, Rocky Raccoon. If, yeah, that's yeah. That's that Appalachian feel one. right there, man. That's the that's that that's that influence. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's I, I awesome. think that record's um certainly one of my favorites ever. Um and yeah, I think when I heard that I heard it just kind of like just the right time too, where I maybe heard enough music to like develop a sensibility, but like hadn't heard enough to become, you know, blase. <laughs> So it just kind of hit right in the sweet spot, and you know, <laughs> that, that's been a huge, huge one for me. What about as a singer? You know, we were talking about the melody from Uppercutter came from a dream, but it mm -hmm. is—it's so haunting to me. I, I hear it in my head. Is, is that the one? Doesn't 
Uppercutter have the lyrics sung to sleep in it at one point? Or is that a yeah, different song? Yeah, it does. Yeah, and it kind of does have a lullaby sound to it as well. I think that's interesting, though. I mean, there's a definite theme. The lullaby, the sung to sleep, the the, the influence of dreams overall. It's, it's kind of a, it's a staple in your work, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Are are there some singers though that you know you've kind of been inspired and, and imitate a little or? Um, I guess like a few vocalists that I really love. You know, I don't, I don't you know, I the, inspire me um, would be. I really love um, Roy Orbison, um, Joanna Newsom. Like those are a couple of my favorite singers. I mean, John John Lennon and Paul McCartney, obviously. But I already said the White Album. Um, Jeff Mangum, you know, I think that he's kind of, but those are probably, you know, almost some of my favorite vocalists. Well, I think, I mean, when people try to, oftentimes when people try to understand something, they have to put it in terms of something they know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so then they say, oh, you know, this is just like this because I understand what this is. And so it seems like that's something that I've heard that. Uh, you guys sound a little like Neutral Milk Hotel or maybe a little bit like the Violent Femmes or maybe a little like Built to Spill even, too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, those are all good companies. It's a little, you know, I feel like you, as, a, as an artist or something, you've got to be like a little more uh, wary of that. But I totally, I totally understand and totally respect that, like, that's just like part of human understanding is, is you know, it's like when we understand something, it is relative to other experiences that we've had. Um, so I, you know, and, and that's all good company to be in. So yeah, cool. definitely, definitely. And I think you guys, your style is so, it's so fresh. And so, like I was saying that, that record just pops those songs. They're so, there's something about the quality that just screams like authenticity. You're gushing. <laughs> I know. Holds <laughs> <laughs> your gushing. <laughs> We we are very we are appreciative of, of your hard work though we thank you for your product it's it's a it's very inspiring um, I think I can so tell it's almost like something you were meant to do would you agree with that Yeah yeah I I certainly feel that way so I'm I'm you know definitely happy to hear that it, it resonates with other people that means a lot to me because it's like for me there's no question. It's just like, this is how I have to exist. So I wonder, have you ever had an interpretation of your own work change? Like a poetic interpretation of your work had more meaning for you after the song had been out for a while? Or has anybody ever come up to you and given an interpretation of a song that you understood once you heard it, but you would have never thought of, of, of it that way. Um, perhaps like I'm, I'm trying to think of like a specific example, but yeah, I, feel, I mean, I certainly feel like that's one thing that happens. And also, you know, I think that sometimes you, you make something or you're, you're involved in, in the sort of discovery of something, however you want to look at that. Um, and you just do it. You just kind of like, for me, the, the sort of like writing process or whatever is, is one where like, I don't necessarily feel like 
it's it's creation as much as it is discovery. It's like you're you're finding these components, you know, that um they reveal themselves to you, you know, as as you invest your attention to it. And wow. and sometimes when that's the case, like it since it's not this kind of like construction work or something, but rather the slow unveiling of, of something underneath. I, I think you just have to go with it and, and you don't always necessarily know like, oh, this is what this is about or something like that. But perhaps in, you know, like a year or two years or something, like you gain that perspective based on, you know, maybe something that someone brought to your attention and they said, oh, this song really means this to me. Um, or maybe in this time, like the experiences that you had, you gained some perspective on and you're like, oh, yeah, that is. It is what that emerged from. Um, but I try to just kind of, you know, like let it happen. I think that, that the, you know, the interpretation or whatever, that, that, that I feel like is a, an act of like creation or like discovery in and of itself, you know, like the, mm. the way that people hear music and, and kind of like relate or connect to that and, and, you know, maybe interject their own experiences into it. Mm, yeah, my wife just finished an MFA in art, and it's so interesting how, like, part of that is just being able to articulate what it was that your intention was. But oftentimes, mm -hmm. the you don't know your intention because you're exploring and trying to find that. But that in that in that arena, you're just supposed to own everything and say, "Yes, this was completely intentional." <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I I got a BFA in sculpture, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh wow! So there's more art that you're into just besides making music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever been a painter or anything like that as well? Uh yeah. I mean, I do all the like I, I you know, like I said, I have a I have a BFA, so like I studied art and all of that. But I I sort of became frustrated with that very thing in terms of like feeling as if I had to account for all of these sort of things, and you know. Well, you've got orange socks on today. What does that mean? What are you saying to us? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and I I you know like why did I use this material? Why did I do this? And like you know I I, I was listening to an interview one day with Wes Anderson, um, and he was uh, someone asked him like about his like music selections in his films, which is I feel like one of the distinctive kind of like qualities of of his of his films. And he was like honestly. It's just like I approach it intuitively. Um, I sometimes I just put it in there and I, I couldn't tell you why. But then once the film's done, maybe a year later or something, like um, then I'll realize, oh, I guess the song for this reason or something. So I I feel like I, I you know I place a value on intuition, um, and I you know post post uh, sculpture degree or whatever have kind of like given myself permission to not necessarily feel that I have to, you know, answer for everything and, and just kind of like realize that maybe they're, that I'm just like following this intuition and, and, and letting things happen that way. Um, but yeah, other, other work that I do. Yeah. I do all the visual work for St. Seneca, like all the record covers and, um, I what about the videos? Do you have any input in the creation of the videos also? Because like I know the yeah. Happy Alone video is is it's pretty interesting. It's it's uh, I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, yeah, actually, that was like something that I had worked on. Um, I didn't film that one or or edit it, but it was like a concept that um, I kind of like brainstormed with our manager, and you know, like he, like we kind of worked back and forth, and you know, I had the idea to kind of just present this sort of like surreal character thing or whatever. Um, and then the uppercutter video was something that I actually did, um, you know, conceptualized. And then that was something that we I shot and edited and everything. So that was one that I directed. So are you already working on something past Dark Arc? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to get a couple records finished before then. You know, at least as far as, like, uh, materials, like the kind of, like, core material written. Um, and I feel really good about what I've got for the record after Dark Arc. And then the one after that, I feel like I've got a few things, like, I, I, I kind of want to just sketch it out for now. Like, um, rather, because, you know, it's going to be years before we get into that one. Um, but, so I kind of want to, you know, sketch out a framework for that, right? You know, I have some songs that I feel really strong about and then allow time to kind of, like, help me fill in, like, you know, content, I guess, you know, or, or like, flesh that out and kind of, like, find, find what that one will mean or whatever. Well, oftentimes, the conversation on our show ends up in the place of synchronicity just because it's a show about meaning and, and that's intuition is, like, trying to understand why, you know, you look at the way the, way the events come together and then try and discern any meaning in there, but... Today is Pi Day. It's three point one four. Do you have any? <laughs> any? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> do you have any any interesting synchronicity stories or like? This is the funny thing is we we're putting this kind of music showcase together. You know, we're finding connections between the bands. Like they're all playing the same night or something. Or you know, like one of the other things we found is that musicians you know people are so concerned with the audio we end up getting the strangest background noises in their interviews like we had delicate steve on a jog and sister crayon yeah, delicate in steve was jogging and and uh disco doom was like in a in a in a convenience store parking lot trying to steal wi-fi and you've got yeah sirens and dogs where you're at. yeah yeah do you have any interesting synchronicity? And it's eleven eleven right now where we're at, or yeah, where we're at. Oh, it's eleven eleven. But do, you, uh, do you, does that mean anything to you? Synchronicity besides the police true? record? I've got. I've actually got one really great one. Great. For you. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry, this helicopter's streaming past. Um, so <laughs> here, here's one that I really like. Um, so you know, five or six years ago when this band was really new. You know, St. Tenneco was playing a show at a house, a punk house in Columbus called the Monster House that I eventually lived at. Um, at the time, I was just going to shows there. And the Monster House. Show. The, the Monster the, House, you said, right? The, was, yeah, the, the Monster House. Um, you're a redhead, but, aren't you? That doesn't offend me asking, but your name is... No, Zach. no, I I am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because, yeah. go ahead, I'm sorry to interrupt. That means something to me, but... Okay, um... Well, so we were put, we played this show there. We played with this band called Ad Astra Per Aspera. Um, and I, you know, I thought they were really great. In particular, the bass player, like, I was just like, oh, wow. Like, he, he played this, like, bass line, and I was, like, really impressed with it. 
I talked to them for a while after the show. They were on tour from Kansas City. Um, and, you know, we kind of hit it off a little bit, but, you know, that was pretty much it. Um, a couple months later, um, I was talking to someone. I was like, hey, hey, do you remember that bass player? Like, he, like, you remember this? Like, I actually, like, cited, like, this specific bass line that I just, like, thought was so cool. Um, and then the next day, he emailed me. Um, <laughs> that the guy from that band was like, hey, I've been listening to your CD. Like, I think it's really great. And we had a lot of, like, back and forth for a long time. And that, he's actually Kurt Lane, who, um... Who I've been in contact with, right. Right, he's our manager. Um, Oh. And we, we, like, became friends. And, um, you know, he was always kind of, like, mentored me and, and helped out. And he actually was kind of in charge of, like, orchestrating, like, he he helped kind of connect the dots as as far as our first two releases, Great Flag and um, uh, our self-titled Seven Inch with with uh, Paper Brigade, um, and so he was always an ins- like kind of like you know important force. But I guess like this sort of like crazy kind of like cosmic connection or whatever it was that his band at Astra for Astra, it's it's a saying that means through thorns to the stars or through adversity to the stars. Um, And it's actually the most famous quote of the Stoic philosopher Seneca the Younger, a.k.a. St. Seneca. Ah! Ah. (laughs) Yeah, so I was like, whoa, whoa. Well, that's weird because we were talking earlier about asking you where St. Seneca came from. Well, Uh, it's crazy because that's not even really where it came from. Like, it was like uh, (laughs) one of our band members had had gone to high school with a girl whose full first name, what they they wanted to name her Seneca, but they didn't think it was interesting enough. So her, her dad just kind of like arbitrarily looked it up and he's like, oh, I found the St. Seneca. That's cool. Um, and so that's how Grace became aware of it. And then, you know, later we're like, oh, this is what the St. Seneca that he found was. So there's kind of a whole chain of things. Well, that was 42 minutes. Wow. Thank you for sharing it with us. That was a great story. Yeah, yeah, pretty wild. Well, you've been listening to Zach Little on SyncBook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. More information about the work of St. Seneca can be found at seneca.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guest, check out past shows or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you like the podcast, please support it by becoming a donor. You'll find the donation link under each episode on the website and consider setting up a monthly charge. Thank you so much. And get out of bed to shut
get it. Cool. 